Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you remember when you were a teenager? Of course you were perfect, weren't we all? Well, there's a few things that almost all universally accepted knowledge about teenagers we know of, and that's mood swings, wanting to challenge authority, hormone changes that affect behavior, but sometimes these concerns can take on a more serious tone and be a sign of clinical depression. Dr. Tammy Swanigan, clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente, is in the studio. She's going to tell us more about how to recognize those more concerning types of behaviors that teens exhibit and what we can all do to help. As always, you're going to be joining us as part of our conversation, and you can call in at 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. But first, in medical news, there's a lot of new programs being made available by the National Kidney Foundation. And Dawn Pasikala, she's Senior Education Coordinator here in Hawaii, she's going to tell us some more about these upcoming events and why we should be concerned about our kidneys. Dawn, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, kidneys, they're pretty important. They are. We need them to be working. Definitely. Worst case scenario, they don't. People have dialysis. Yes. But there's a whole host of kidney issues that can occur in people, particularly with certain medical conditions. What are those and how is it you guys are ready to help? Okay, well, at the National Kidney Foundation, we're all about prevention. And so we try to catch things um, in the earlier stages. Um, But what puts people more higher at risk for chronic kidney disease is, number one, diabetes. Number two, hypertension. Uh, Number three, a family history of either, either or. Um, and then as we age, you know, anyone over the age of 60 is also high at risk. Um, and being in Hawaii, ethnicity also plays a role. So what ethnic groups seem to have more kidney problems than others? Native Hawaiians, for one. Um, Asians, um, including uh, Filipinos, uh, you know, Japanese, you know, all Asian mixes as well. Um, those are the the major groups here in the islands that are higher at risk. So if you're concerned about your kidneys, you know, a lot of times we hear about people being told, here's a heart-healthy diet, here's, here's a low-cholesterol diet. Is there such a thing as a keep-your-kidneys-healthy diet? Um, you know, there are, you know, when you cross the threshold of of being at risk and then a dialysis patient, that's when it really takes a a major change in diet per se. Um, If you're talking, um, you know, pre the earlier stages of chronic kidney disease, you're still able to kind of eat everything you pretty much want to, but in moderation, you know, like in a lot of other chronic conditions, there's nothing specific that you should stay away from. Um, but you do need to watch your portion sizes and whatnot of a lot of different things. If we tell you, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. Um, another thing you want to take into consideration is you may have other underlying health conditions that may contribute to perhaps not being able to eat certain types of food because of that. But in general, a, you know, a healthy kidney-friendly diet um, it's not specific. It's really watching your your dietary intake in all aspects of food. 
Sure. So if you have diabetes, Mm -hmm. watch your sugar intake. If you have problems with high blood pressure, watch the salt. If you have Mm -hmm. high cholesterol, watch that as well. Now, a lot of people have trouble with diabetes. And, you know, the National Kidney Foundation has really taken on trying to help people with these conditions. And what are some of the things that the Kidney Foundation is doing for those people who just want to learn more about diabetes and kind of be able to manage that better? Yes, being that it is the number one risk factor for chronic kidney disease um, and really controlling the symptoms of diabetes, um, you know, is key to whether or not your progression of chronic kidney disease is accelerated or it's slowed. Um, And so with the National Kidney Foundation of Hawaii, because um, it is an important factor risk factor for chronic kidney disease, we actually branched out into what we call our self-management programs. Now, these programs we've adopted from Stanford University. Um, Myself and a few other uh, staff members um, were trained um, through Stanford's program. I myself was trained at Stanford um, to be certified to teach these diabetes self-management programs is what it's called. Um, And what it is, is it's a six-week workshop, six consecutive weeks. Each workshop is two and a half hours, and it's diabetes-specific, meaning anyone who has diabetes can register for this program, and or if you have a friend or family member that's close to you, um, a lot of spouses register as well, um, because they're the ones preparing the meals, obviously, and, you know, living with this person, person. Um, But, you know, it's really about learning better ways to cope and manage the disease um, at home um, primarily. Um, You know, we go, we do goal setting with them weekly. We talk about nutrition. We actually do diabetic meal planning with them. Um, You know, skin care, foot care, um, managing stress and fatigue, um, you know, finding more support and problem solving um, solutions to, you know, issues that come up with okay, the condition. So diabetes self-management is mm-hmm. one of the one of the areas of expertise that you're really trying to help share with other folks. And Definitely. what about, you know, a lot of times people get confused when they enter the healthcare system. They, they kind of feel like they don't know their way around. Who do they call for what? Where do they go for certain things? And you guys have started a unique community navigator program. Tell me a little bit about that. Correct. The Community Health Navigator Program, um, we actually um, got issued a a grant to create this program. And what it is, is that we recruited, you know, people who are chronic kidney disease patients, mainly diabetic patients, um, who um, got trained and are now what we call community health navigators. Um, so we trained them, we educated them about, you know, risk factors of chronic kidney disease. Um, and we're actually their resource to whatever else they need as far as information to give to other patients. And so we have a group of these community health navigators that work with patients that perhaps don't know how to navigate the health system very well. Uh, meaning maybe lack of information, perhaps, maybe, you know, just wanting to know more about their disease process itself. Of course, this is chronic kidney disease, again, um, and anything related to that, um, you know, and it's 
it's nothing like having a navigator who is living through it and experiencing it to really help someone who is new to the to the environment. And so that's what the Community Health Navigator Program is. They literally walk step by step. They meet with the patient. Um, it either could be one-on-one in person, over the phone, through an email, um, but they have to make contact with them, you know, so many times during the year. Um, and um and That's this is a great program. program. Is about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Definitely. another way the Kidney Foundation is really branching out and reaching out to really interact with the community and give them, give all of us the information we need to stay healthy. Yes. Now, a lot of folks might want to participate. Mm-hmm. There's a website. There's a phone number. Can you share that with us? Definitely. Our kidney website is www.kidneyhi.org. And we always have our web calendar that's constantly being updated. Programs that are out there in the community are listed there. Um, They also can get more information about diabetes, kidney disease. Um, You know, we also have upcoming screenings that we do statewide as well. Um, And the phone number they can reach um, any any programs information is 589-5905. Um, or my email address, it's Dawn, D-A-W-N, at kidneyhigh.org. I do want to mention, though, we have a diabetes program um, beginning next Tuesday evening. Um, we're using a space at the DSI U.S. Renal um, Center in Pearl Ridge. So it's nice that it's a central location on Oahu. Um, it will be Tuesday evenings from 5 to 7.30 p.m. Um, and anyone interested can call, call or email those contacts that I just um, said. And same with the Community Health Navigator as well. Fantastic. We'll put some of that information on our Facebook page, make sure that people have access to that. But I want to thank you for coming in and sharing some of the hard work that the National Kidney Foundation is doing, because it's one of those areas where a lot of times kidney disease kind of sneaks up on folks. They've been working on their sugars, working on their blood pressure, working on their cholesterol, and boom, they find out they have a kidney problem. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to manage it. And this is a great resource for folks. I send patients to that website all the time just to find out what their learning needs are and so they can figure out what else they need to know and find some support along the way. So thanks so much, Dawn, for coming in and sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Kathy. All right. Well, we are going to talk today about something else. You know, a lot of times people don't want to hear about what's happening with their kidneys. Well, how many teenagers that you know of want to hear what's going on with their parents and their lives and really want to participate in an active, engaging conversation? Well, I'm sure I was the perfect teenager, but somehow I don't think that's the case. And we have Dr. Tammy Swanigan here, clinical psychologist, Kaiser Permanente. You're going to explain what's going on with adolescence and when is a little bit of angst way more than that? When should we be worried? So please welcome to The Body Show today, Dr. Tammy, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Kozak. It's great to be here, and I appreciate you bringing attention to this matter because it is um, it is a tragedy, and we do um, lose teenagers and adolescents every year. Um, Unnecess- unnecessary uh, yeah. to lose them. Yeah, it what is. What are some of the main... Well, let's talk... What is normal teenage behavior? I mean, I realize there is a whole spectrum. Right. What is normal teenage behavior? So, you know, I tell people there, there's all kinds of symptoms that we see um, that manifest that could be anything. 
So um, we would make kind of jokes, not that it's completely appropriate, about things like attention deficit. If there's a task I don't want to do, like my taxes, I look like I have attention deficit. I can't stay on task. I go clean this. I start this project. Um, With depression, with teenagers and adolescents, you see them having symptoms like typical kids. Your typical kids um, at that age want to spend more time with their peers. They want more freedom. Um, They want to try to hang out with different people. They want to kind of challenge um, systems. They want to challenge beliefs that they've been taught. They are questioning everything, trying to figure out who they are um, and what matters. Uh, They want to be noticed. They want to be heard. There's a lot of pressure. Um, And so the things that they experience... it's just kind of part of that age of adolescence and teen years. And uh, as you said, I was perfect as well as a teenager. So oh, I'm um, sure. that wasn't an issue for me. But other people <laughs> around me, however, um, there'd be times where there was, you know, tearfulness, times where um, people were having lots of peer issues, um, problems at home, and that would come out in grades going down, things like that. And sometimes it was temporary and just spending time with a good friend and talking or crying it out. Um, talking to a favorite cousin or an aunt would do it, and that would and that would be sufficient. Um, we're talking about clinical depression. We're looking at not just those similar symptoms. A number of symptoms are going on that are affecting how the kids are thinking, um, their activities, whether they still find pleasure in things that they used to enjoy. Uh, we're looking at whether or not uh, they're active. Uh, I know we talk about the couch potatoes and the video games, um, but if they just aren't doing anything and they don't seem to even be enjoying things they used to, they're staying in their room a lot more. Um, we're looking at also what's going on with their sleep, their eating habits. Um, are they reporting more headaches and physical symptoms? So we're looking at a number of symptoms. We're also looking at how long they last. Those kind of uh, temporary, um, I'm in a bad mood because you grounded me, so I'm just more quiet now and more withdrawn from everybody, is slightly more reactive to just the situation. Um, but if we're looking at something, let's say there's a breakup. Okay, there's going to be a loss. There's going to be a little bit of drama around it. And so we expect this could last a while. When it goes past two weeks, so we're looking at Two not weeks. just the number of symptoms. We're looking at um, the severity, how intense those symptoms are being experienced. Not feeling like eating is one thing. Dropping like six pounds in a week and a half now, it's a little bit more of a concern. Um, or gaining like six or seven pounds. You know, a pint or so of haagen with your girlfriend is one thing. Eating a gallon every other day is probably a little bit more of a concern. There's a significant change in behavior. So we're looking at changes as well. Um, so, yeah, two weeks in general, if those things have been persistent, it, it's time to kind of maybe have a talk and maybe consider um, having your child go and see somebody in the mental health profession or at least talk to, even if they're more comfortable with their primary care physician, sometimes that's a great place to start. How often do adolescents really open up? I mean, when we say let's talk to them after two weeks and I think, boy, I mean, I can just imagine how was your day? Fine. What's going on? Nothing. How are your friends? Fine. How is school? Fine. Did you learn anything? No. I mean, these are like the conversations I can just picture happening and probably had these with my parents years ago. And so I wonder, you know, two weeks seems like such a short time. Two weeks doesn't mean there's a serious problem. It means to initiate, engage in conversation. Right. And and as far as the engagement... Maybe text your kid and say, how are you? (laughs) Use some emojis. And, you know, they might respond to that a little bit more than than interrogation in the car. Who knows? You know, one of the things that we we teach in behavioral health at Kaiser Permanente is just how important it is to have that relationship. Uh, It's that same relationship that you start when... um, 
your teenager was just a small little infant, little toddler crawling around. It was that security of having you there. And from that, they could go and kind of explore their world. Um, it's kind of the same to me in that way, your teenage years. It's just kind of knowing that you're paying attention, that you're checking in on them and you're monitoring. Because oftentimes, if it doesn't look really messy, you're just letting it slide. They're doing their thing. And there's not that dialogue. So at least, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a day, yeah, you might get that fine, okay, no, I'm good. What do you want? You might get some of that, but it's like, you know what? I'm going to love and care about you uh, all the days of my life, and I'm going to always ask you how you're doing, and I actually want you to tell me. Um, But no, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm going to check in and just do things with them. Um, Yeah, it's going to be harder when they're teens because they want to be out of the house. They want to go and do things, and that's great. But there should always be that time where you could talk, where you're actually in a space at the same time together. People go, oh, we're in the car driving to the soccer practice all the time. I'm like, uh-huh, but they have their ed- headphones in and you're on your cell phone. <laughs> and Hopefully and, not driving while right, you're talking. Right, hands-free, hands-free. Hands-free, okay. But, um, yeah, and there's not that dialogue. So, you know, I tell people, uh, one thing we talk about, I think it's a national guideline, is we look at no more than two hours of screen time a day. That includes looking at a computer, looking at a phone, looking at a video game. And so electronics down. There are parents that have told me, oh, yeah, things changed when we said no electronics after 7 o'clock during the school week. They're like, what do we do now? It's like, oh, my gosh, we all have to talk. Ah! So, um Those kind of things make a difference because it just opens the door where they know they can talk to you. Well, and it seems like the amount of homework kids have these days, I don't know how they could spend so much time on the screen unless it was with homework. Because there's, I mean, I look at, you know, some of the things that I hear kids are doing now in high school. I'm like, I think I did that in college. What happened? How am I so far behind? But, you know, it certainly sounds like things have changed a bit in how kids are dealing with technology and how they're dealing with education and just... But there are certain key elements that haven't changed. There are certain things that happen, hormone changes that happen, social dynamics that happen, drama that happens. And it it seems like there's such a heightened sense of importance. This little event is going to mean so much in the rest of my life. I mean, we look back these days and go, did it matter who you sat next to freshman year at lunch? I don't remember who I sat next to freshman year at lunch, but maybe that was a big, big deal then. It was the biggest thing in your world. That heightened sense of importance of every little action might just generate this sense of I'm not as good as, I'm not doing what everyone else is. I don't have the same clothes. I don't have the same style. Maybe I'm not meeting these criteria that I've set up, and now I'm going to start feeling bad about myself. And that could start to spiral this whole cycle. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what are some of the other things that are recognizable that parents or loved ones could say, I think someone has a problem, even if they don't live in the same household, even if they're just noticing some things, maybe at a family gathering or a family event. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Tammy Swanigan. She's a clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente, and you're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what happens to teenagers and how can we all recognize and help them to get through this growing phase. As always, you're part of our conversation. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. If you're a parent or if you're a teenager, what can your parents say to you? 
you or if your parent what have you said to open up that dialogue to your teenage son or daughter and how did that really help change things we can all learn from example and if you've got a good one we'd love to hear it so stay tuned we'll be right back after this quick break aloha hawaii public radio listeners from the top is headed your way We're recording shows on Hawaii Island and on Oahu later this year, and we want to find outstanding, young, classically trained musicians from the islands to showcase on our national radio show. Send the talented kids you know to fromthetop.org slash casting to learn more. From the top, great kids, great music. The late poet C.D. Wright was known for border crossing, from rural Arkansas to urban life as a Brown professor and the Rhode Island Poet Laureate, but also from narrative to more experimental poetry. I still love to be told a story, but I like it to be told more obliquely. MacArthur genius and poet C.D. Wright, a past American voice of new letters on the air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Tammy Swanigan. She's a clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking today about teenagers, depression, and warning signs. What can we do to help identify kids at risk and how can we help to to reach out to them and know when it is that they need our help and when they need some assistance even just growing up you know these days it's hard enough to deal with our own lives let alone boy i i I wasn't a teenager around the time of facebook or social media i don't think i got a cell phone until i left medical school that's how old i am now if you're a parent out there or if you're a teenager what could someone say to you that would make all the difference We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to share that information. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Tammy, are you my, you're, you're, we're probably around the same genre yes. in like cell phones, really, texting, Facebook, <clears throat> social media. I didn't even use email until I'm embarrassed to say residency. That's like after medical school, I used email. That's, that's. You know, these days, I'm really old. I, I'm I'm right there with you. All um, right. I, I get laughed at when um, any kind of new service or business I'm looking at, and they want my email address, and I say, at AOL, and they all just look at me and start laughing. I'm like, yes. Okay, you still have AOL. <laughs> it works. Why wouldn't I? That's anyway. true. You know, you get used to it, and you know how to use it. All right. I've got oh Hotmail. <laughs> That's almost as old as AOL. I'm with you. So, you know, it's it's not one thing. It's it's a lot of different things. So we see cyberbullying just at amazing um, amounts, just the number of people that are getting bullied every day. So it, what exactly, like I hear the term cyberbullying. Is that just like, hey, somebody passed around a photo of somebody to other classmates? Is it Facebook posting a picture of someone and or nasty words? What exactly is cyberbullying? Oh, well, I don't think this is the technical um, definition of it. Um, but, like, what do people, but it's, when you hear teenagers say this is what's happened, what do they describe? What, what What's going on? So 
it'd be one thing if you walked up and, and you were saying, I don't like you or you dress funny or, or something like that. Um, but kids are getting more sophisticated in how they can be cruel to one another, unfortunately. And so you might have things, and I'm really, I remember I'm AOL lady, but between the Twitter and the Instagrammy thingy and um, I wonder. Snapchat, there's something called there's Snapchat. There's something called Snapchat. There's I'm not Snapchatting, else. but apparently I could. Right, and so there are things where um, people will post things or um, they put something on their Twitter account or something, and they didn't get that many likes or hits, and so they're very down. And someone else said something about someone, and it got lots of hits. Or they said something about, you know, I've got people that are saying things about people's family members. Um, and I have kids that get really torn up about that. And so we talk about ignoring and some other things. But you have hormones going, you feel peer pressure, you want to fit in. And even when people say, I don't care if I fit in, they care, <laughs> right? Um, but I mean, it's harder. I'll be honest. I think being a teenager is harder than being an adult. Absolutely. Because as an adult, you kind of just sort of get to the point where you realize, you know, who you are, what you're doing, where you're going. You meet a bunch of other adults that are kind of like you. You form a crowd where you all fit in. And I guess it doesn't matter what you wear anymore or maybe how you do your hair or something like that. I honestly think being a teenager is these days is harder than being an adult. Well, that sounds about right, but then you have to consider when you look at who's on the front cover of magazines when you're in the line at the grocery store checkout. What do they look like? Do they look like you? Um, We're making it, I think, today a little bit more open and diverse and more accepting in what someone looks like, how long their hair is, what they own and their clothes and those things. But there's still a lot of pressure to a lot of people to kind of conform. And so that's with us having adult coping skills. Um, Teenagers typically oftentimes don't have as many of those social skills and they don't have those same coping skills built yet. And um, a lot of times they're getting, you know, from their parents, oh, when I was a kid, I went through bullying. They're like, oh, just rub some dirt and it'll be okay. Um, You know, just don't talk to them anymore. Um, And they don't always get really what it's doing to that child's self-esteem. And, you know, words are very powerful. And um, when a group of kids kind of start saying things and spreading rumors and making up things and talking about people's bodies and what they're willing to do and not willing to do, and it, it's, it's embarrassing, and they don't necessarily have the coping skills yet for that. All right. We've got Matt on the line from Honolulu. Matt, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. I just want to say thank you for, for talking about your subject today because I feel like I need to hear this. Okay, Matt, what has been your experience with this so far? Well, I have an 11-year-old son, and uh, we've been homeless uh, for almost two years. And he used to be like the cool, popular kid, and now that's totally changed. And now he's being called a fag, and uh, got him a nice haircut this weekend, and he showed up at school today, and and, uh, he's just, he's really taking a lot of... Um, abuse from from his peers, and and that's and that's not uncommon. I I tell people right. I love working with teenagers and kids, but they can be yeah. really just amazingly cruel. And sure. um, sometimes it comes from what's going on in their home life. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's coming from them feeling. Um, disempowered and weak and it just makes them feel a little bit stronger or a little bit more in the know or a little bit better or more in control in their life 
when they can manipulate or control or affect somebody else's life, unfortunately. Um, The most important thing I think you can do is just kind of to reinforce um, your son and his skills and do things with him where he feels successful, whether it be you just explore things like going to the museum or teaching him how to fish, things where he can try something new and feel successful in it and kind of know, hey, I can do stuff. I know stuff. My dad always says, I don't need to listen to people who weren't this way. And, you know, say take kids to the library. Please, people, go to the libraries. Um, There's so much information about all the great leaders and great people who have stood up um, for themselves and for um, their peers and for um, villages and cities and just races that have stood up. And so I think exposure to those wonderful heroes, I think, is another way to go about it as well. All right. That's a great, great help. Think, thanks so much for calling in. Yeah, I tell parents as much as you can, try to listen more than you do talk, which can, trust me, we're always trying to teach them little lessons. But sometimes when we do that, we're not giving them time to kind of come to the conclusion on their own, which kind of, again, leads to the disempowering. So um, just support them and listen and, and know they won't do exactly what you say all the time. But um, just kind of taking the time is really important and just listening closely. Well, and you brought up a really, really good point, which, you know, Matt, I hope your your son gets a chance to do this, is do something he's successful at. I mean, I remember when I was younger, if I was good at something, and usually it was not a sport, I admit that, it's a very <laughs> well-known fact, um, you know, if I was good at something, and for me it was probably school, I would I would feel so positive when I continue to do well at something I was good at. And challenges are scary. I mean, these days, you know, when you think about picking up a new sport or a new activity or going back to bike riding or something like that, there's a fear element that you even have as an adult because you want to stick with what you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You feel good at what you can do well with. So giving a child a chance to identify things that they do well Try a bunch of different activities. You know, we speak about going to museums. The, uh, the, is it the, let's see, the museum. It's the Honolulu Museum of Art, not the Academy. I think that's what it is. They have like first family, first Sunday or something, and it's mm-hmm. open for free the whole day. You can go explore all these different areas. The beach is free. I mean, if you want to learn how to boogie board or surf or do things that are beyond my athletic inabilities, (laughs) you know, there's wonderful opportunities to show kids where they can feel more secure by getting good at something. That's invaluable. And a lot of parents, I think, if, if you're really good at one activity and your son is good at something else or your daughter's good at soccer or basketball or something, and enjoy their activity with them and let them be the leader and let them be the one that shows you some skills because it really empowers them and makes them feel good about who they are and what they're doing. You know, one thing I love about about the islands is that we have so many walks from the kidney walk to uh, junior diabetes to um, cancer walks, et cetera, et cetera. It's an opportunity to meet people with different abilities, different challenges, people overcoming things, and just to be supportive and around your community. And again, the diversity of this island is such a beautiful thing. And I think for for kids starting at a young age to just kind of appreciate that and be around people who are a little bit maybe... um, just more genuine and open to sharing and supporting each other, um, you get that exposure to diversity versus it being something that's used against you sometimes when you're a child in school. 
Well, and exercise is good for all of us. Absolutely. You know, and there's so many neat areas of Hawaii that you might not normally go to or explore on your own, but you sign up for one of these walks or you sign up for one of these activities and you get to see different areas of the island you never knew about. Right. And and just another thing, Matt, is you're always, you know, I don't know if you have Kaiser or not, but you're always welcome to just talk to your child's pediatrician or primary care physician. Say, you know, I'm kind of concerned. And they can oftentimes link you to a mental health professional. And sometimes when I meet with kids, um, we play games and I teach them something new and then I let them teach me something new. They know how to draw. They just doodle. I'm like, how do you make that doodle? I can't make that doodle. And they have a sense of accomplishment. And like, I know something you don't. And that's always a wonderful feeling when you know that there's something that you know and that you're good at and that you can share it with somebody else or teach somebody else. And that's the next step is allow them to teach you things and try your best and give encouragement and praise, but definitely can link them. And I, you know, we work on self-esteem skills sometimes. That's what we're doing, teaching them how to transition, how to cope, how to deal with bullies. That's one of my favorite things to do with kids because it's a lot of one-liners and it's a lot of laughter. All right, try some. <laughs> you want to hear? Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I'm. You say one-liners and laughter, and you can't just say that and leave me out. All right. So, some of my kids will come up and say that a child called them a name, and so it could be anything from, "Wow, did you spend all night working on that?" Not bad for your first run. Not bad. And so it's so gonna- if I made fun of your AOL, absolutely. I would say, hmm, yeah. Okay, so thanks for sharing. Have a nice day. And just walk off. It's just not giving it a lot of attention. It's that kind of, you De-escalating. Know, letting the water just right. roll off your back. Yeah, I tell people you need to look like that duck. You need to look like that duck that's just calmly floating on the pond. Even though your little feet underneath are just going, 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 you're a little bit stressed, it's what you portray and what you project that will make a big difference in whether or not they kind of leave you alone because they're not having an effect on you. That's a good analogy, like the duck. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Tammy Swanigan. She's a clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente, and we're learning how to deal with bullies, how to deal with with teenagers and how to help them feel successful and motivated in life and help lead them on a good path so that they don't wind up experiencing signs or symptoms of depression and or having other consequences accordingly. So we just heard from Matt from Honolulu. And if if you've learned something about your teenagers or if you've been a teenager and somebody really reached out to you and said something that made all the difference, We'd love to be able to share that. So you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Tammy, we talked a little bit about two weeks. You get a little worried if if your child, if your teenager is starting to exhibit symptoms of withdrawing, if they are having trouble sleeping, if they're you know losing weight or gaining weight or something, some rapid change in their behavior so let's say you're a parent and you witness these things. What's What are some of the things you should do? Okay, well, uh, along with that, I just want to add to this a little bit more. Um, other symptoms, um, they might seem more apathetic. Their concentration might be going down. Um, they might be having problems making decisions. Um, you might see them just kind of feeling more guilty, um, sulking more. Um, you might find out, you might get those phone calls at home where they're skipping classes more. Um, they're late for class more often. Um, and again, uh, you'll see maybe the rebellion kind of behaviors start to really up up it a bit. They'll start to increase significantly. Um, 
they'll get kind of preoccupied with things like dying and death. Um, people have told me they've seen changes in their behaviors and what kids are wearing. Um, you'll see their, their sleep schedules change. Um, they're staying up later at night and they're sleeping more during the day. Um, and again, substance abuse, those kind of things start to increase and become more of a problem. So I want to add those additional symptoms to kind of pay attention to. Um, but once you notice that there's something like that going on, um, first thing you're going to do is you're going to want to talk to them because kids will oftentimes minimize things and hide things from their parents because they think they're protecting them. They don't, it's like, oh, they have all these problems of their own. I don't want to tell them. Oh, I don't want to add to their problems. We have enough stuff going on. Or, oh, they won't understand. Or, oh, they won't listen. And so know that they may not be sharing. And so, again, that whole checking in thing on a daily basis, just to know, just so they know that you're going to be there. You're going to ask. You're always going to ask the question and check in on them, right? And it could be, you know, have your friends over. Invite them to have their friends over to the house just so you can see how they're doing or that they actually have friends they're interacting with. Right. So those are some of the things you do at that two-week point. When does it get more serious? What are some of the warning signs that your teenager is is getting involved in activities? You mentioned substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, how would parents know if their kids are doing these sorts of things, whether it be taking drugs or whether it be, you know, drinking or something that would seem so out of the ordinary for what I would think someone would do at that age, but probably is a lot more common than most parents realize. So again, um, going back to the social media comments, some people, I've had kids say, she went on my page and like, it's not even her page and she's not supposed to be on, and kids will act like they're entitled to have some kind of privacy. And I let them know, "Um, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's really easy. No, 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 not not so much Um, until you're 18. Really not so much. Um, It's my responsibility as a parent to know where you are 24 seven and to know what you're doing, who you're associating with, who you're spending time with, how you're doing. Not that you just got to be in that class to know whether or not you pulled that out in the end because you've been missing a lot of work. I need to check in with your teachers and see how you're doing. Have they noticed anything? Um, but in any case, once you've noticed something, um, whether they're doing talking as if nobody cares or you don't care or whatever, it doesn't matter anyway what I do. Those little talking under their breath things, we sometimes just go, Ugh, whatever, they're just being drama. No, we need to pay attention to those things and check those out and maybe let them go away for a minute and be more calm if they're more upset. But again, we still need to talk about that. You know, you kind of said things, something like, you know, like you care anyway, which makes me think you think I don't care. And so actually talk to them about it. Don't just kind of dismiss it. Pay attention to it and follow up on it. Um, I've got people who are just shocked that their that their child would go into their alcohol cabinet. I'm like, you don't remember being in high school? <laughs> um, yeah, you need to know how many beers, how much alcohol, what do you have in your house? Um, and then I've seen people, you know, some parents are more permissive with allowing them to access things. And again, it's a lot of responsibility, to let kids start making those kind of decisions. The social media, having access, it's a lot of responsibility. And parents say, oh, no, I've told them. They're not supposed to go in there except for this. So your thought process is just telling them is going to do it. We're not going to monitor that. We're not going to check the histories. But that can be a hard thing to do sometimes because I see a lot of kids that are very tech savvy and the parents are so not. They're like an AOL person like myself, and they're like, insta what? Twit twit who? And so they don't understand what's going on. So I tell people, the ignorance is not going to work. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to find out, not for you, but to support your child, because they've been given this huge 
access to all of these things that people over the world have access to and people are posting this and that. And you may be only linked to this person, but that person's linked to these people and it just kind of goes like wildfire. And if the kids don't have anybody kind of guiding them. I've got a great business idea. Do tell. I'm thinking that if there was some group out there that was like, parents are us and they (laughs) monitored all of the kids social media and they alerted the parents if they got into trouble and they checked things out i mean that would be fabulous that could be some tech savvy you know 20 year old who figures out how to monitor certain words and let parents know of stuff i'm telling you this would be great because i know nothing about twitter i'm not tweeting and so who knows but this could be a wonderful opportunity all right i'm dr kathleen kozak coming up with business ideas for folks who could help monitor kids and social media because i wouldn't know how to do it i mean what do all the emojis mean i don't really know And uh, I'm here with Dr. Tammy Swanigan. She's a clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about signs of depression. What do you do? Should teenagers be on antidepressants? What should parents monitor? And what if you're worried that your child is contemplating suicide? Are there warning signs? Can we as a community find out about this and do something about it? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. The Every Student Succeeds Act gives control of education systems back to the states. What Hawaii will do is in the hands of the governor's ESSA team. Next on The Conversation, we'll talk with one of them. Join us Tuesday morning at 8 on The Conversation. Hi. This is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 here on HBR2. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you then. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Tammy Swanigan. She's a clinical psychologist at Kaiser Permanente. And today we're talking about teenagers and what happens if they get depressed? What happens if they start to exhibit signs of more serious mental concerns? And how can parents monitor their social media activities? Sometimes that may be the only way you really find out about what's going on in their lives. And yeah, you're legally responsible until they're 18. So it's kind of a good idea to be on top of those things, if at all possible. So, you know, Right before the break, we were talking a little bit about social media. And before we do, before we go on to my next question, I want to talk with Wiley from Kamuela. They may actually have the answer to what I'm discussing. Wiley, welcome to The Body Show. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've, it's been 60 years since I've been a teenager, but um, to put a humorous slant on this, I would like to recommend a comic strip. Um, <laughs> okay. By Jerry Scott and Jim Borgman. It's been in the papers for a long time. It's called Zips. And it deals with teenagers, (laughs) adolescents, their parents, their social media. It puts a really humorous slant on it, but it's very erudite. It's it's very perceptive. Again, it's called Zits, and it's been in the paper, uh, including the Sunday paper, for a long time now. I've seen it once or twice. For parents and teenagers, because it it satirizes, it's a very brilliant satire uh, satire about uh, teenage problems. So that's my comment. 
Thank you. Thank All right, you. Wiley. Thanks for calling in and sharing that with us because everybody could use some humor around the time when we're talking about about teenagers. I'll tell you, I'm sure I wasn't the best uh, perfect teenager for my parents as well. And, of course, I would blame my brother. I have two of them. Blame either one of them for they, they were worse than me. But uh, you just you just – you need to add some kind of levity to the situation every once in a while, and that's that's often necessary. I mean, we think about it's it's really curious to see with technological advances. Kids these days are so savvy. There's so many different types of communication skills they're coming up with, different ways that they're developing web apps and all sorts of things. Imagine what technology is going to look like in another 20, 30 years. It's going to be dramatically different. We talk about email. That's going to be like handwritten notes to people one of these days. It's going to be that old school to do it. Even now, some kids probably don't use email. They use all these other different services. So I'm curious, when we talk about sort of social media and stuff and how to identify things, you know, do kids often post warning signs of depression on social media? And can parents access that? And and what should parents do? I mean, I'm sure you see kids that come in and they exhibit all the signs and symptoms of depression. How should that be treated when you're a teenager? And what, is it safe to use medication, to use psychotherapy, to use both? How are they monitored? I mean, from the comic part of teenagers like to buck authority and try and do things differently to the more serious nature of they're going through this huge transition in life. How do we help them to make it? So uh, a couple things in there. Um, Let's just start with the treatment because to me it's the most somewhat straightforward. So looking at... um, the more well-established, the more researched types of interventions for depression. Um, primarily, they're looking at co- what they call cognitive behavior therapy. CBT. Absolutely. And then interpersonal therapy, which is IPT. Um, and there's other therapies and parts thereof that have shown some promise as well. Um, but CBT is probably the most researched. And cognitive meaning thoughts and thinking, um, behavior meaning actions, um, what we're doing, and that they're related. So it's basically what we say and think, um, what we actions we take, um, those things are all affecting our mood, right? So if we're going to change how we're feeling, we're going to have to change what we're thinking and change what our actions are. So that's kind of the gist of it because there's huge problems that come with thinking um, during the time when you're a teenager um, or if you're me often anyway. But um, it's a hard time to kind of figure things out. And depression affects very strongly your thinking. It becomes very negative. It becomes very catastrophic. It comes, becomes very worst case scenario. It becomes very dark and gloomy. And when you find that your thinking is going there, know that it's just going to kind of dig you more into that depressed it's mood. spiral downhill, Absolutely. Right. So how do you bring, or if you're a parent and you see your child going through this, or any loved one, how do you bring them out of it? So definitely, you know, sometimes it could be just being there with them or it's making time more just to be there and just to check in more. And sometimes it starts there. It's doing something like, hey, how about you and I? Um, bake some cookies today or I could use a little bit help um, this or knowing what their favorite meal is and just kind of having them hang out while you do it and talk and say oh you know your grandma used to teach me how to do this it's just kind of being present with them more Um, it's checking in it's continuing to monitor things it's just noticing things are they not really taking any 
care in their appearance. So they really like it's being a big deal to get them to shower now, or they're running late every morning because they're so tired and they're not sleeping. It's paying attention to those things. Once you notice those things and you're and you're talking to them, maybe there's a favorite aunt or cousin, and so you kind of set it, set it up so they end up hanging out together. Hey, your aunt wants you to come over and help a little bit, just so they have that time away and it's another opportunity if they want to share. But if this is persisting past a couple weeks and those things aren't really making a big difference and you're noticing those symptoms, then you definitely want to call a mental health professional. Um, you can start with your primary care physician, but at least at Kaiser, you can call Integrated Behavioral Health directly, um, and that's the 808-432-7600 number. And you can say, hey, this is what I've noticed. I'd like someone to check it out. And so we'll get them in, and, and, and we'll do just that. As far as um, your more efficacious treatments for depression in teenagers, again, we're looking at a combination of therapy and medication if it's more severe. Some of it might be more mild and working with someone on changing their thinking, changing their behaviors, their activity scheduling, including more positive things, um, including more physical activity, because we like to get all those happy chemicals in our brain working for us, right? And Yeah, you're supposed to get those when you exercise a lot. Right, you do. I'm still waiting. You do. You do. Mm. You do. Pain is gain, but no, it's good. <laughs> um, but no, I tell people just being outdoors, Getting some vitamin sun Absolutely. is a good thing. We have no things. reason not to be outside. But we shut down and we stay in with our electronics and we don't want to talk to anybody and we're not outside. So I know when I was a child, I loved to read, but I loved to play. But every once in a while, I'd be like, get out. <laughs> get out of the house. <laughs> the house. Get out. But, but I, I'm on the next chapter and I'll get to the next series of this book. A little, little geek sometimes I was. But she'd say, no, get out of the house. Go outside and be in the sunshine. Go play. And so it, it's important to have the kids do that, but they're not going to want to. So it's going to be going with them. It's like, hey, I need someone to walk with me. I need someone to help me time this and figure it out on my phone. It's using them as experts for the phone. Can you help find me some music I, knew, I can use for my walks? Would you mind walking with me? Um, just for a little walk. And so it's, it's doing those things. But if those things aren't working, um, they've looked at so many studies, and it's not just the therapy. It's not just the medication. The most efficacious is going to be the combination of the two. Synergistic, you know, one plus one equals three now instead of one plus one equals two. Absolutely. And really helps in both ways. Now, sometimes we hear about medication, and I have to say, I, you know, you watch these TV commercials, and I think one of the hardest things is the fact that you're now allowed to advertise direct to consumers. But it's actually kind of funny because in order to advertise, they have to list all the side effects. And you hear the side effects of these medicines and you're like, there is no way I would ever want that medicine. I'd rather deal with my shingle pain than take all these medicines that have all these side effects. So we hear about side effects of antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And some of them are, can increase your thoughts of suicide. Absolutely. So like, how is that supposed to make you less depressed? So, you know, in those cases, and they're, they're more of the exception and not the rule, to be sure. But they have to, of course, you're talking about a large corporation advertising and they have liability issues. So they have to make sure they include them. When they look at the research studies, the number of people that experience that is a lot less. But we definitely want to pay attention to it. And it is important. If you notice any increase in symptoms with the medication, you pick up the phone and you call, call your doctor. You'd be amazed at how hard it is for people to do that. They're like, oh, I have an appointment follow-up in four weeks. I'll just tell them then. Or it's like, well, you know, I decided maybe if I just cut it in half, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. And so people decide to become physicians in a split second. I know what I'm doing with my medication so I can change it. I can choose to just suddenly stop it. 
okay, which that can is sometimes not just start a problem with antidepressants. Right. <laughs> I'm just gonna say right. people do that with their diabetes pills, their <laughs> cholesterol pills, their blood pressure pills. I hear it all day long. Yes, and I've had people actually told me that it was such a challenge because they were trying to use like a butter knife to cut their medication into thirds. Um, I'm like, how that? How'd that go? Well, sometimes it'd be a smaller dose and sometimes it'd be a bigger dose. Do you have all your fingers still? <laughs> right. You know, that's a scary thing to do. But um, when you do have those warnings, and, it's, and it's, it's a very responsible, ethical thing that we do is to make sure that we review those with you and to pay attention. We talk about the warning signs. If there's an increase in those um, negative symptoms, if there's an increase in your negative thoughts or your suicidal thoughts, and we want to do something about it immediately, Right. Not um, the time to wait. No, we don't wait. Well, you know, it's the weekend. So no, nope. You're calling your doctor. You're going to the ER. You're doing whatever you need to do. But you're you're taking care of that immediately if that happens. But more often than not, um, people get upset because they're accept, expecting there to be this instant kind of happy pill going on. And it's not. We're going to introduce it slowly, the medication to your system at a lower dose. And we're going to slowly titrate it up. And so that takes time. And if you're still not doing well over that time, that's when you continue to outreach to your doctor, to your primary care provider, to your psychologist, to whomever you're seeing so that you keep in touch with them. Because you're right. It's Sometimes people wait until the last minute and say, I just can't deal with it anymore. I need medication. But like you said, they expect the immediate result. And it takes several weeks, if not even in some cases, months. And some people take more than one medication. Right. Absolutely. Simultaneously. Right. So it's important, again, because when we have people come in, um, they're speaking with a therapist, first and foremost, um, in addition to trying medications. And some people say, no, I just want the medication. Some people say, no, I just want the therapy. I just want to make it clear to them that the most efficacious is going to be the combination of the two. But while this medication is taking time to build in your system, you're still meeting with a therapist to talk about the things you can change in your everyday routine, um, your daily structured kind of what am I doing? Am I making time for self-care? Am I making time for this? Because we have those things where just full speed ahead. I'm going to get up. I got to go to work. I got to get the kids ready. I got to go do this. I got to get at home. I got to drop them off here. I have to take them um, and to have practice. This one's got to be dropped off here. I have to run home, make dinner, review homework. And it's just this routine and, and people aren't stopping to take time, right? And so it, it's it's shifting kind of our focus to Parents need to take time to themselves so they can be more mindful of what's going on, first of all. And then we have to start doing things with the kids immediately to have them change what they're doing. So, yep, it's not a choice now. You're going to be walking with mom in the evenings. We have to get you out of the house. We have to get you walking. We're going to try to make some changes that the kids are willing to do to help improve their mood. Now, we have a few more minutes, and I want to address the worst-case scenario. And we've sort of talked a little bit about it. And that would be when you think your child is contemplating or has even already attempted suicide. Right. What can parents do? Are there local numbers? Are there national numbers? You know, we have to look at these things because there has been, I think recently I read an article that said there was a rise in suicides in adolescent girls, which was like, really? What? Huh? And it was just sort of looking at different groups of people and who is at the greatest risk. This is a reality. People commit suicide. It's an unfortunate thing. We always say, I wish I could have seen the signs. I wish I could have done something. What can we do? If your child, if you think they're worried about that, if you think they've started to attempt that, if if that's something where maybe they did attempt it and were not successful and you're trying to reach out to them, 
what are some of the resources available for them? So, first of all, if uh, when in doubt, this is just not one of those things you do a wait and see on. You immediately need to contact somebody. And if you don't have anything else set up that you're willing to do, 911, take them to the ER. Um, you know, we have services there. We will consult there. They have people who will check out your child and make sure that they're going to be safe. And if they can't be safe, then there's other places, higher level of cares that we consider to make sure that they're going to be supported. Better safe than sorry. Absolutely. And people go, oh, well, my child just, I think, was threatening because they're upset because they're grounded. Um, I, I advise all of my patients, we don't, we don't do that. Um, their safety, um, their lives matter, and we're kind of in charge of, of supporting and, and monitoring and, and being there for them. So if they threaten and you just think they're just kind of kidding around or whatever, nope, we're going to the ER. People are like, oh, but there's that huge copay and there's this and there's that. It's like you cannot put a price tag on this. You seriously cannot put a price tag on this. They need to go to the ER if they're threatening. Uh, one of two things I've seen happen. One, we are finding, yeah, this was a lot worse than what we all thought it was. Or two, you know what? They get that this is serious, and and they don't do that anymore because they they're don't trying make to. The threats. They don't make the threats if they were trying to be manipulative. But again, to that level where you're talking about death in that way, where I don't want to live anymore, even to be thinking in those terms, yeah, we need to take that seriously. So we're going to get them to the ER, and people go, "Well, I just want to let them sleep on it, and we and we'll take them on Monday morning." I'm like, no. No. Well, not only is Monday morning the worst time to go to an emergency room, let's just be realistic, but you also don't want to wait. And people say, I think I can just keep an eye on them. I'm like, at some point in time, you're going to fall asleep. That's yeah. all it takes for your child to hang themselves in their room. And that's happened more times than I times. care to think about. Um, so, yeah, and if the kids want to talk on their own, uh, in Hawaii, we, the Department of Health has a number. It's called the Access Line. And... Uh, that number is one eight zero eight eight three two three one zero zero eight zero eight eight three two three one zero zero, and that is a twenty four seven three hundred and sixty five days of the year wonderful resource. Um, they have case managers and um, clinicians there that will talk to you, and they'll talk to your teenager, and you can call together. Or if you just want your teen to just talk to that person, they can do that. Uh, they've been known to come and meet at the house if they need to, to better evaluate what's going on and what needs to be done. And they may say, you know what, I think this is one you really need to go and take her into the hospital. And so that is another resource here in Hawaii. And again, don't hesitate to call 911. I've got kids who are like, I'm not getting in the car, I'm not going. If we need to get HPD involved, this is about someone's safety and someone's life, and we do whatever we do. Well, you know, and that's that's certainly a really good point. If you have any thought or any concern Take it seriously. Call the authorities. Bring your child to the emergency room if necessary. I really want to thank you for being on today and sharing your medical expertise with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for bringing attention to this matter. It's really important. Well, and we'll have to have you on again. All right. If you'd like to hear this show, you can always click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. We'll also put some of those phone numbers and link that up as well. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we're going to talk about some other serious issues. What to do if you think you're having a stroke. We will see you Monday live at 5, right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Woo!